to Everyday Nonviolence. This podcast is produced by Friends for a Nonviolent World or FNVW. FNVW champions nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every human being. The Everyday Nonviolence podcast highlights people in our community who are using the principles and practices of nonviolence to transform themselves and the world around us. Their stories deepen our understanding of the impact of violence and the many ways nonviolence can be used for healing and social change. May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, a celebration of Asians and Pacific Islanders in the United States. Friends for a Nonviolent World recognizes the generations of Asian and Pacific Islanders who have enriched America's history and are instrumental to its future. Sadly, this year the celebration takes place in the midst of increased violence towards those of Asian descent and a devastating coronavirus spike in India. I'm Diane Sandberg, the host of this episode of Everyday Nonviolence, in which I welcome Geetanjali Mittal, Lead Program Developer at SIWA AIFW, which focuses on vulnerable and underserved members of the South Asian community in Minnesota. The organization provides health and wellness access, information, and resources. Geetanjali, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for this opportunity, Diane. Would you share a little bit more about the work being done by SIWA AIFW? Sure, Diane. SIVA AIFW, um, I work with them as a program developer, and I develop their uh, community engagement programs. And it's a wonderful organization that was conceived in 2004, and we have been growing strong since. And it was conceived with the idea of helping the community where women were facing uh, domestic violence and sexual violence as well. So when it started, the idea was that when immigrant women come here, they need to have that sense of home, that sense of security, a home away from home. So they do not have their family in the community over here. So if something happens, there's the sense of where do I belong? Who do I go to? Who do I talk to? So this whole organization was conceived with this idea that they do have a home here. They do have somebody they can come to and talk to, and we would try to help them out in whichever way we can. So seva, it literally means in Hindi, to serve, to help. So we are providing the services where we can help the community members feel comfortable. And the idea behind the whole conception of this organization was also the total family wellness, as our name suggests. Seva AIFW, Seva Asian Indian Family Wellness. So the family cannot thrive if there is violence going on in any form. So that is the basic idea. So we are trying to counter violence in our own way, especially the domestic violence that the community, especially the women are facing. And when women are facing that, women are more like the whole complete gamut. It's more like uh, the foundation of the family. So if the foundation is not comfortable, you cannot have a stable home. And it can affect the children as well. And if children are not getting good experiences in their lives, they won't be able to be good human beings in many cases. I won't say it always turns out that way, but definitely it also affects a person's psyche and their whole idea about themselves and about their identity. So we are trying to uh, be the preventive 
and at the same time help community in supporting them in such a way that whatever violence is happening there, if we can help somebody to thrive despite that, that's our effort. Can you tell me a little bit about the people who first started the organization? Yeah, so this organization was started by Raj Chaudhary and her husband, Dr. Surinder Chaudhary. They had this idea that the Indian community, when people are here, they do need a support system. They knew that they do need an organization who would be talking about their wellness, about the issues that they are facing, the anxieties that they have. So um, they laid the foundation of this organization in 2004. And initially, as we were talking about domestic violence, it's something that communities are not comfortable talking about. So initially, it was a very big challenge that Raj would be sitting. And this is a story that we always share because it's a story of courage. It's the story of perseverance. So she would be sitting in the Hindu temple all alone and people would pass by. She would be sitting there with her brochures and information and having one table and waiting. Okay, somebody would come and they would talk. It's And it wasn't that people did not need help. It was that how would they talk? Because in India, where I have grown up and in the South Asian community, we have a very strong sense of community. And uh, here it's a very small community. Everyone knows everyone. And domestic violence is something that people are not comfortable talking about at all. So it took some time for the community to realize that this person who is sitting here means to do the real work. She's just not sitting here for the sake of it. So slowly women started coming together and we formed a small, beautiful group. And then she got more support from the community members and slowly we have thrived. So from one member and the idea of which was started by six or seven people and Raj taking the lead in starting this organization and also working a lot towards that board members are helping too. Uh, not to uh, kind of undermine their role in it. But at the same time, there was a lot that Raj had done over the period of time. And slowly we have thrived and slowly now the community knows us. And uh, in the past few years, I'm proud to say that Seva has been able to serve more than 5,000 women survivors of domestic violence in one way or the other. That must have been so disheartening at first. I mean, you say that there's a small community, so I'm sure that she was aware of the problems and could see them, but convincing people mm-hmm. that she was indeed there to help, to be to be kind of a balm in a time of hurt instead of being an annoyance or, you know, something something foreign that wouldn't be welcome in the small community. Yeah, definitely. Because the thing is, like, in our community, it's more like when you have an issue, you go to your elders. So you do not talk it out. You do not go to people kind of sharing that this is what is happening in my family. And I won't say that's a bad thing. But again, when we are here, it's a different kind of an environment. We do not have the family here. And that's what I would like people to realize that when we are here, we are in a different kind of an environment. It does not mean that you are leaving your culture behind. It also means that you have to kind of adapt with the things that you are venturing into. You cannot be completely Indian when you are here. You cannot be completely American if you are there. So you have to balance both the cultures and also realize that you need that support because it's a small community. It is difficult, I understand, because people may be judgmental and people may think that this should not be happening. And as everybody, like I said, it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. So you do not want your friends to know that there is some kind of an issue going on in your family. 
But at the same time, violence, when it erupts, it creates a lot of havoc. Like I said, it affects the whole family. And uh, somebody at some conference, I had heard this example of a mobile. If you touch one part of a mobile, the whole mobile rotates, right? So if you are touching one person with violence, it's not that the rest of the people are not getting affected. So it's really important that we voice it out and methods may be different, but at the same time, whether it's small community or big, we have to counter the violence. We have to talk about it to counter it. If we keep on sweeping the issues under the carpet, it's going to erupt at a later stage in a very, very bad way, I would say. It does not mean that you have to kind of straight away go and seek the legal help. Do whatever you can to stop it and do it in small steps, but take that small step. That is very, very important. And that's what I think the community is also learning over the period of time, what we, I have seen in the past two years that I have been working with Seva. It's really important that people are coming up now and we are seeing cases where women are more vocal about their rights. Things are changing slowly, but they are. And that's, that, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, that is good. I mean, I'm sure asking people, not only they're new to a country, it's a new language, a new way of thinking, but then also that within a small community that they have to make these revisions within themselves. How, how did the organization start to bridge that gap? Was it, what were the small steps that Siwa took? Yeah. So like I said, Raj showed a lot of perseverance. And when women started seeing that, that's my perception. Like I said, it's more about how I perceive the things uh, as I have joined Seva uh, for the past two years only. So the thing is like, when you see that there's an elderly person sitting up there for you to take care of you, slowly you start sharing and you know that thing would remain confidential and you get the right advice. Then you know that you have a supporter and ally out there. And then you start talking about it to your friends as well. So by the word of mouth, things spread a little bit more. And then people started knowing that there is this organization which is ready to help the community members. And it does not mean that we help only women. It's also for the children. It's also for the men. So whosoever comes and seeks help, the idea is to stop the violence, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's sexual violence. Because majority of it happens with the women. So we have women clientele more as compared to men. But that does not mean that men do not come and seek help. So slowly the word started spreading and people started seeing that uh, there is help out there. That's good advice that is being given. We are not breaking homes. We are telling people that try to create a home where you can talk to each other, where you can stop the violence and be a good human being at the same time and also take care of your family. So slowly start working towards that goal. And as we have expanded slowly, we provide mental health consultations as well, which is again, a new concept, a completely new idea in the sense, because mental health is something that people are not comfortable talking about in our South Asian community. It's stigmatized a lot and there's a lot of taboo around it. But couples therapy does help because in India, for example, I'm from India, so I'll be quoting India more. So in India, if I have an issue, in my family, I'll go to my elders and they would give me advice. Now, I do not have, like I mentioned before, my elders here. I do not have my community here. So who do I go to? I need a neutral advice at the same time. So therapists are there to help you out. So that's the idea we are trying to tell people as well. You come to us if you're not comfortable with our advice, go to therapists as well. Try to seek the remedy for it. 
And it's not to say that violence is something that a person does intentionally. There are lots and lots of psychological reasons behind that. When you come as an immigrant, whether you are a woman or a man, you have to face a lot of stuff and you have to adjust to the new culture, to the new language, like you mentioned, Diane, and also to the new nuances and shades of traditions and rituals that you may not be comfortable with. And at the same time, you're trying to retain your own culture. So there's a lot going on, a lot of anxiety is there, a lot of stress is there. So how to tackle that? We have a whole community back at home, I would say, if we need that support. And that support is, I won't say that it's lacking here, but we need to find those avenues. And also, for example, and I have quoted this example before, it's more like if you are trying to uproot a tree and plant it again, it will take more time to stand on its own and get, get its roots into the soil. If you plant a sapling, it would grow up much more easily. So many of us are like big trees who have come here. So when we are trying to plant ourselves, it's becoming difficult for us. I came here when I was 33 years old, and it has been almost nine years now that I have been here. But I still feel that I need to learn a lot more. I still need to adjust a lot more. So there's a lot going on at the same time. So how to counter all these things? And how does it come out? It comes out in the form of anger as well, which is not justified. But at the same time, it comes out that way. Sometimes we know how to tackle our angers and our anxieties. Sometimes we don't. And who do we dole it out on? The person who is nearest and the most loved one. And that does not help. And it creates a lot more problem. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Going back to your metaphor of, of a tree, just all those additional stresses on the small roots that we're sending out, you know, trying to find sustenance and strength can be very damaging. So you've been with the organization for two years. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've accomplished and what you're really proud of in your past two years of work? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this organization itself, first of all, because this is an amazing organization. Raj is amazing. And my colleagues are really, really very wonderful people who are always working at uh, Seva. We have a joke that Seva never stops uh, because we are working on Saturdays as well. We're working on Sundays as well. Whenever there is a call, we are there. And we adapt according to the needs of the community. So that is something uh, I'm really, really proud of. When I joined SEVA in August 2019, it was um, around four to five people. And then now we are a staff of more than um, 20. So it has expanded. We are getting more people who are interested in volunteering with us. And the biggest thing that I have seen is like, apart from doing the amazing work that the staff is doing, that Raj is doing in helping the community, especially the domestic violence victims, we have adapted ourselves while during COVID, many nonprofits stopped and they could not uh, sustain because of the reasons that we all know. Seva adapted itself in such a way that we started organizing our women's programs virtually, for example. And then we could have more attendance there because women did not have the transportation issue. And they could log in from their laptops and they, or their iPhones or whatever means they could. We adapted for the seniors because they were isolated. So we have a weekly, uh, every Friday, we have a weekly social, senior social. So they meet together, around 20 to 25 seniors meet there. 
they talk, they share ideas, they sing songs, they have Bollywood quizzes, they have the problems that they are facing talking about senior reviews. So they are getting awareness, they are getting entertained, they are getting connections, they're supporting each other. And we are providing meals to people, more than 100 families in a week. So kind of sustaining ourselves at the same time, uh, it's a difficult task and we depend a lot on the community to help us for the grants and all the things. But at the same time, we are adapting ourselves in such a way that whether it's COVID or whether it's not, the community should not feel that they are left alone. We got vaccines for the community members. So seniors have transportation issues. So we would have them be driven to places. So we are adapting. That's, I think, one major thing that I have seen. And I would say that is just because we have a wonderful leader in our executive director, Raj Chaudhary, because she is planning ahead. She is always two steps ahead of the problem itself. So she is a very uh, strong leader, I would say, who has a good plan always and also thinks ahead of the time. So adapting and recreating our programs have helped us a lot. Tell us about other new programs you have going on. We are trying to take care of people with neurodiverse abilities. We have added programs for the adoptees. We have started LGBTQ plus community group, which is one of its kind in Midwest for the South Asian community. It was not there before. At the same time, the more we are having people and volunteers help us and getting more staff, we are realizing there's so many needs still in the community that need to be taken care of. And within the organization, you do a podcast as well. Can you tell me about the podcast and how that serves the mission? Yeah, so podcast, again, was a part of the adapting our work that we were doing. So we reach out to the community members for awareness about domestic violence. So because of COVID, in-person presentations were not possible, like we were going to the community places and talking to the groups of people. So now with COVID and restrictions, we were not able to do that because we can, could not have gatherings. Then we thought, what should we do? How we reach out to the community members? So then the idea came up that let's start a podcast, which we were also thinking about in the previous few years as well. But the thing was like, okay, let's see how we can reach out to more community members. So then we started this this podcast it is called South Asian Voices. I do that. I'm the host of that uh, podcast and I bring in leaders from the South Asian community who can talk about the issues that our women are facing. So we talk about the domestic violence through people who are working in this field to spread more awareness and to counter domestic violence, but they are doing it through different means. For example, if you uh, go to our website, you'll see the first podcast is by Mahabanu Modi Kothwal, who is doing a great job in India with her Vagina Monologues theatrical production. So she is in touch with Eve Ensler and she's uh, having the copyright of doing that in Hindi. And then we bring in people from here as well. Uh, we have got a domestic violence survivor from Canada who is an uh, international speaker as well, sharing her stories and how she countered the courage that she showed and how she survived the 12 years of violent behavior of her husband. And then we have uh, people who are working in the field just like us. So there are multiple different kinds of people. We are trying to find leadership and uh, the qualities of courage and perseverance in the women who are talking there. So they are leaders, they are community members, they are survivors, the different kinds of people who come together and share their stories, because it is not just about the community members. If we see someone who is like us, looks like us, speaks like us, 
and has still survived and sought that position of leadership and has reached there, it gives a lot of hope to the committee members who are listening to these podcasts. So that's how this whole idea was conceived and that's how it is going on still. Both Friends for a Nonviolent World and SIWA are focused on violence prevention. Do you feel that there are unique considerations in addressing those sort of issues in the South Asian community in Minnesota? One thing that I'm very uncomfortable with in the Western world, especially in America, is the gun violence. That is not anywhere else in the world to the intensity that we have it here. I have two small children, and when I hear about the school shootings, I really wonder what is going on. And who are these people who feel comfortable that everyone should have a gun? And little kids are getting it and they are able to go out and shoot just anyone. And what is going on in their mind? It's not just the gun. If a person is not feeling comfortable, there is something lacking in there. So we are having two issues that we need to talk about here. It's not just the guns. It's also the issues that the people are facing. What are we doing about that? So in that sense, I feel that there's a lot more that needs to be done when we are talking about the movement, when we are talking about the issues that we are facing in the world today. There's a lot more that needs to be done here at the same time. I'm from India. I have seen a lot of violence there when I was growing up in different forms. There's, there's lots of fights about religion, about caste. And being a woman, it's not easy when you're talking about all these things, because as a woman, you are told that you should be silent. So I have fought that kind of a violence in its own way. Violence does not always mean that you should be beaten. Violence also means when you are not given the right to be yourself. So that kind of violence has been there. Domestic violence has been a part of the families around me. So that was one reason why I thought that I need to work towards this goal. I'm a teacher by profession. I have been teaching in India for 10 years, English literature. And it's a completely different field that I am in today. But the personal story behind that is I have seen a lot of violence in the families around me. And my father always taught us that being a girl, you should have a good education. You should have a good job so that you can strive and you can be independent. And despite that, I faced issues. And despite that, I saw the violence that I saw. And also there were people around me who tried to kind of bully me just because I was a woman. But then that was also another thing that gave me this push that, yes, you have to fight against this issue, that you have to talk about it. So violence, I would say it's, it has multiple nuances, shades and forms. So one way or the other, we all are fighting that violence within us. We need to work on ourselves, first of all, and then also start working for the community members around us, because it's not enough that we start working on ourselves alone. We need to work with the community member. We need to work with the people around us and talk about these issues. Unless we talk it out, we are not going to find solutions for them. Once we talk it out, the next step would be what can we do and then support each other in organizing and stressing out the importance and then also doing the work that would help. So there's this kind of like, there's a whole long journey that we still need to make, but the first step has to be taken somewhere. And some of the steps are being taken. It's not that work is not getting done. But the thing is like, we need to still do a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, as I mentioned in the introduction, the increase in violence, especially that's been happening to the Asian and the South Asian community in Minnesota, 
Can you speak to that at all, how you and the organization are trying to combat or even just trying to wrap your mind around the violence that's happening? Yeah, definitely, Diane. There's a lot going on in the South Asian community. We are talking, I would talk more about the South Asian community because that's where I have been working more. So, and Asia in itself is a very big continent. So <laughs> kind of like, and um, it's it's here that I have realized that it has got broken into two parts, Southeast Asians and South Asians. So uh, that's also one new thing that I have learned. So I would say that with the South Asian community that I'm working with, we are always projected as the model minority. We are always projected people who would be taking away all the IT jobs, who would be having all the good jobs, big houses, big cars and everything. So with that, there's a lot of misconception about the South Asian community that they always thrive. They have everything. And that also creates a lot of problem because when we have this kind of a conception and when due to COVID or due to other reasons, people are losing jobs. They feel that these are the people who have taken away the jobs. So they are, we have heard about threat letters being sent out uh, in Texas. We have also heard about phone calls that people get that you have taken our IT jobs, leave this country or we'll do something. So there are stories like that. And it would be inappropriate for me to share other people's stories that I know because it's their stories and I'm not comfortable sharing them. But at the same time, I would say that personally, when my own child was told to go back to Mexico without even realizing where he is from, he's born here. He's as American as anyone else is. And he, he's, he was just six years old at that time. So you can imagine what was happening and being told by an eight-year-old to leave this country. On what basis? Just because the color is a little bit brown? That does not make any sense to me at all. And that did not make sense to my six-year-old at that time. And now I'm pretty vocal about that, that you have to talk about your rights. And that day straight away we talked and the action was taken in his school, which, is, um, which I'm really glad about. But at the same time, you see the South Asian community has to face it in its own way. Because there's a lot of stress on us to perform because the kids, when they are in the classes, okay, you're from South Asia, you're from India, you must be knowing everything. I'm from India. I'm not good at computers. I'm not an IT person. I'm not good at math. I can barely calculate a few things. And still, I'm an, uh, an Indian. I'm, I'm not that nerdy Hollywood person that's being always shown having a computer geek or talking about whose nose is buried in the books or who is always talking about accounts and knows everything. I am myself. So we have to, I think it's really important that we have to take off these labels and see the human beings the way they are, whether they are black, whether they are brown, whether they are yellow, whatever colors you put them on rather than seeing them as human beings. So that is one thing that is, I would say, the very basis of non-violence. And there are very good white allies as well. It's not that uh, the movements are not happening. But at the same time, we have to recognize, we have to question what is happening around us. And the more we support each other without seeing the color, I think the better the world would be. It's, it's a dream world, I know. It's a utopia that I dream of. But at the same time, you can only do the work when you dream. If you don't dream, you won't try to realize that. So I'll keep on dreaming and I'll keep on thinking about that. I know that it's a difficult subject to speak about, but I'd like to ask you about India um, and their 
they're going through so much with the coronavirus right now and that situation over there. Um, can you address how the community here is kind of helping family and friends back home and how they themselves are dealing not only with the pandemic here, but the way people back home would be dealing with the pandemic and how they're affected? Yeah, so I would talk about the friends that I know. I cannot speak about the complete community, I would say. But uh, the friends that I know, there's a lot of sense of helplessness. And there's also a lot of fear and anxiety uh, because many people have their family members who are either sick or some of them have passed away. I have myself lost my dad in November due to uh, Corona. So it's kind of, it's not easy to talk about that. But at the same time, even if we are here, we have families back there and you don't abandon your family whenever there is some kind of a problem. You'll try to figure out a way. So there are wonderful organizations who are working for gathering money for India and sending it to the organizations that are working. So it's kind of, they have figured out a way, I would say. They're anxious, they're worried, they're concerned, but at the same time, they haven't stopped from helping the community or their families back in India. So what they have figured out is connection with other organizations who are working and getting the ventilators, for example, or the oxygen cylinders or other provisions which would help the families or community back there. So their organizations connecting with each other, sending money. And Indian population over here and South Asian population per se, they are very generous as well. So they are donating money that could be sent back home and um, to help the community members there. And what can the greater Minnesota community do to help? First of all, uh, I would say that India and uh, there are other places as well. Right now, Nepal is also going through a lot. So I would say the first thing to do to help is to be aware. And then when once you are aware, you would have that compassion because then you would realize that what the needs are and what there are things that you can do. Because unless you are aware of that community, their past, their culture, you won't be able to see them as human beings and you won't have that compassion. So first of all, that compassion, that awareness is needed. And then I would say that connect with organizations who are helping, especially the organizations of color. So there are lots of organizations of South Asian descent who are working towards helping the community members back at home and also here, because our work starts here. Only then we can help the people who are away from us. Connect with people, connect with people of color, I would say, and talk to them about their cultures. Try to know about their cultures, their traditions, and how they have come here. Try to know about their immigrant stories. Not everyone has come here fleeing war. Not everyone has, has come here by choice. So there are different immigrant stories. There are people who have run away from violence. Accept them. Try to see where they are coming from. And once you realize that if you are in the similar situation, you would do the same thing. Then you would start accepting them. It's very easy to say that you could have stayed there. We don't want people from a certain country because, okay, there's violence going on and they should take care of that. But it's very easy to say the people who are fleeing, if you know their stories, if you see their children, nobody wants to die that way. And you wouldn't like to be in that kind of situation ever, even in your imagination. So once you start having that compassion, I think that would motivate you to help others in one way or the other. And once you have that compassion, you will figure out a way yourself. Thank you.
is there is there anything else we need to know or any questions that I'm forgetting to ask? But I would just say that um, it's it's really important that we talk about non-violence and you're doing a great job out there. I've researched your website and I'm really, really impressed. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Thank you. If listeners want more information about SIWA or your mission, where can they go to find that? Yeah, definitely. They can come to our website, seva-aifw.org. And um, they can always reach out to info at seva-aifw.org if they have any questions. Links to the SIWA website and to information about Asian Pacific Islanders Heritage Month can be found in the program notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Everyday Nonviolence. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World, visit our website at fnvw.org or call 651-917-0383. We hope you will subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes and insightful conversations. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and are not intended to reflect the official positions of FNVW, its staff, or board of directors.